Hello and welcome back to the Golden Hurricast, a weekly podcast covering Golden Hurricane athletics at the University of Tulsa. I'm Ryan Token. I'm Matt Rectine. And yet another game was canceled for Tulsa football, or postponed, I guess I should say. Uh, the latest of which was last weekend's game that should have been against number eight, but is now number nine, Cincinnati. Um, that game should have been on Saturday, but due to some, it sounds like, COVID issues going on with the Bearcats, that game was postponed. I believe to December fifth. Is that is that the right day, Matt? That's what I saw. And I mean, I'm just thankful that this one was postponed to later this year and not mm-hmm. five years from now. <laughs> I, I know. Suck. Yeah. Well, who was that Arkansas State that happened yeah. with? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that game, uh, December fifth, still happening this year. So we'll still get a, um, a an attempt at the Bearcats there. Uh, there was some trash talk going on on Twitter. We may talk about that later on. Not sure. But very exciting. Makes the game more fun. Uh, always, I enjoy that kind of stuff. So very cool to see. Um, but, yeah, with no game to recap this year. Or this year. I, I have done that so I mean, many times. I mean, it's kind of – but how many games have been canceled this year? It seems like we've <laughs> yeah. recapped two games, and I we're know. already like it's almost the end of October. This is the ninth episode, and we've had two games. Yeah, ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, so we do have a game this weekend uh, – or this end of week, I should say. It's on Friday night. We bring in uh, yeah, Robert Steve. the weekend. That counts. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is the weekend. I shouldn't have even corrected myself there. But yes, Friday night, uh, we play the USF Bulls. So to preview that game, we bring in Robert Stieg from the Daily Stampede. Uh, to preview that game, we'll talk to Robert about all kinds of stuff, including new head coach Jeff Scott, how they're all feeling about him, um, how everybody's feeling about the what seems to be the solidified quarterback in Jordan McLeod now, um, the Bulls' stingy defense, and a whole lot more. So... Uh, let's see. After after talking to Robert, I think the only other thing we've got this week is to take a look around the conference, um, around the America, and see what happened in the conference this this week. So let's get started. Okay, and we are here with Rob Stieg. Rob is our writer for USF's SB Nation site, The Daily Stampede, and is also a co-host on the Balluminati podcast. Uh, Rob, why don't you get us started by introducing yourself a bit, uh, let us know how you've been writing for The Daily Stampede, recording for the Balluminati podcast, and how you're liking it all over there. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, like uh, like Ryan was saying, I, I'm, in, I'm Robert Steed. I am a what we call a contributor. Um, I think it's the best way to call me. Um, I, I do photography for um, Stampede, or the Daily Stampede. I help you know produce the podcast. I help co-host it. Um, and generally, I'll write articles here and there. But my bread and butter really is uh, my Twitter personality. I think that's where <laughs> a lot of people will, will uh, find joy from. Uh, this pain and suffering it is to be a USF fan this year, but um, I've been I've been a contributor within for about three years now, um, doing everything from covering uh, soccer games, softball games, um, going to away games here and there, um, taking as many pictures as I possibly can, and of course trying to keep everything lighthearted and and, uh, and troll some other fan bases to see what they uh, think about USF. Yeah, I mean, you definitely do a good job <laughs> of keeping things lighthearted. That's how kind of we came first into contact with you was, uh, I mean, I don't know. Personally, I just like the uh, the daily tweets of, you know, the 
Krusty or Mr. Krabs on Fridays, and you've got Saturdays are were made for dads and all of that kind of stuff. I, I was loving that. So saw that <laughs> first. You. Was like, man, I got to follow this guy, and uh, the rest is history, I guess. And now you're on the show, so Absolutely. it all works and out. Again, thank you guys for having me on this. I, I'm I'm very excited. I I I wanted to go to uh, Tulsa a few times now, and have yet to to make my way out there. So I'm hoping one of these days, once you know travel opens back up, and you know everything kind of can go back to normal, I'll make my way out there. Yeah, man. I mean, it was honestly Tampa was on my planning calendar this year to to get to for this game. Um, but with uh, COVID as it is and travel being as as awkward as it can be, um, opted to cancel that trip. But I was really I haven't been to Tampa myself before and was really looking forward to making my way down there as well. So maybe next year, maybe two years, we'll see. Um, but definitely want to get there eventually. Oh, absolutely. And uh, don't worry, we have a full list of things for people to do. Uh, it's it's a wonderful city. There's there's quite a lot there. So whatever you like, whatever food you whatever food you preference, whatever drinks you like to drink, you know, there, there's something for you here. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, speaking of Tampa and how the what the stadium is like these days, I guess let's start it off with just a question around stadium capacity. What's the what are the Bulls doing? I didn't check on this before recording. So what's the uh, capacity to limit there, and how's that been so far? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, USF shares the stadium with um, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, obviously uh, Raymond James mm-hmm. Stadium. So uh, we fall under the same um, kind of umbrella that the uh, the Bucks have to use for theirs and the Tampa uh, Sports Authorities. So we sit at about twenty five percent capacity. Um, at a 60,000 person stadium. So generally you'll get about 15,000 people in the stadium. Um, you know, sometimes a little bit more because of the suite style seatings. Um, and, and, but they'll generally stick around that uh, 15 to $16,000 mark or 16,000 people mark, I should say. <laughs> yeah, right. Cool. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Um, yeah, I think so. Tulsa's doing a little bit more strict than I think the rest of the conference. I don't know if anybody else is doing this besides like Cincinnati, who I don't think is allowing anybody. If I if I remember that right, I can't remember. But Tulsa is doing uh, super small capacity too. I think like according to ESPN, they only had like seven hundred something people because I think Philadelphia is like not letting large oh. crowds. Who is that? You said Temple. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So Tulsa is doing thirteen percent, which I think is smaller than most as well. Um, with small stadium to boot, right? So, uh, but yeah, so we got we got some questions kind of lined out for you. I think Matt and I will just kind of alternate on them. Um, but the first one that I wanted to get to was mostly around Jeff Scott, right? So, new head coach, former Clemson co-offensive coordinator over there, um, comes to Tampa, and very you know, heralded pick, uh, very lauded as a choice for the for the coach of the Bulls, replacing Charlie Strong, um, but. I want to, so looking back on last game uh, against Temple for you guys, he made a couple of bizarre calls late uh, against the Owls there. And I know that's only one game. Uh, I'm sure everybody is still uh, very optimistic about the hire, but how are you feeling about him yourself? Uh, how's the fan base? I assume everybody is still pretty high on, on Jeff Scott. And what do you think? I guess the main, the main question here is what do you think uh, that the biggest thing is that Jeff Scott brings to the table? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, and I'll answer that last question first because it's probably the easiest way I can answer it. It's, it's a breath of fresh air. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's almost night and day between um, how Coach Strong was and, and how Coach Scott is. Um, and, and it comes down to kind of how they react to people outside the program. Um, Charlie Strong was a very, a very lauded uh, head coach, obviously very popular amongst players um, and, and a pretty big name when it comes to um, the players who he used to play under or had played under him. Um, but mm-hmm. the biggest problem that we had with um, with Charlie Strongman, I would hardly call this a problem, is just 
his his unwillingness to kind of open up to the media um, or or donors um, or people outside the program. So Jeff Scott comes in and then does this huge press conference to start things off. Um, you know, shakes hands, kisses babies, does the whole nine yards, and, and really kind of provides a new perspective on how a head coach should be at a at a Division One program. Um, you know, he's he's out and about. He goes to local restaurants and. You know, he's more than willing to, you know, sit there and, and talk with you and, you know, you know, thank you for being a fan or, you know, thanks for following along. Um, and, and just generally, he's, he's got that kind of positive personality. Um, and obviously, you know, him being a first-time head coach here, um, we already kind of threw him like a bone uh, coming into this year prior to COVID saying, yeah, you're going to – it's going to take you a little bit to rebuild this, this once, you know, great, powerful program. Um, it's going to take you a little bit. And then COVID happens. And so now people are kind of a little bit more, un I would say most people should be understanding that this year is going to be a struggle um, mm -hmm. just by nature. Um, right. and his, yeah. and mistakes are going to happen. And unfortunately, you know, a game that probably we should have won um, against Temple here, you know, mistakes were made towards the end. Um, we played about 50 minutes of absolutely gorgeous football that I was not expecting at all. Um, but right. that last 10 minutes kind of, you know, you're kind of questioning, like, you know, why are you taking a timeout for a two-point conversion? You know, why is your two-point conversion play a, uh, you know, QB draw to the uh, far <laughs> side of the field? Like, you know, if you're going to if you're gonna make a mistake on the last two plays of the game, you know, that's not the best time to do it when, uh, when you desperately need it. But, um, you know, other, other mistakes were made throughout that game as well. So it obviously didn't just come down to that. But that was when people were like, all right, Jeff, like, you know, this isn't Clemson anymore. You, you don't have the, the skilled athletes that you had there. You got to kind of, you know, look at it with a different, different perspective on, uh, on who you have available. Yeah. Did he, uh, put, so post game, did he get any questions about why he made that play call or anything like that? Or what was the, what was the deal with why he went with the, the, yeah, I mean the draw to the left side there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, we, we never really got like a good answer out of him, at least not that I heard. Um, I could have completely missed it, but one of our um, one of our other guys on the on the site, uh, Seth, um, he kind of hypothesized that they got down there, they didn't have a two point play ready to go, um, and that's why they called the timeout. And then when they came out of the timeout, they didn't like the look. But you can't really call two my two timeouts there. Um, you're kind of putting yourself in a bad position. So you know it ended up you know kind of biting us in the butt there, but. Ultimately, I mean, I think he would just kind of say it was a mistake. Uh, they shouldn't have called it. They weren't as ready to go as they should have been. Yeah, that makes sense. It was it was tough to watch. I, I was watching part of that game, and gosh, seeing the end of that was just brutal. I was pulling for you guys uh, to get the win over the Owls. I've got a little internal bet going on that if we if Tulsa finishes below Temple this year, uh, that I will do like a standalone podcast or blog post about why Temple is better than Tulsa in, in various different ways or whatever. So I was really, <laughs> really pulling for the Bulls to get that win. And man, you were right there. Oh gosh, it was, it was a good game. Like you said, really good football played early, but mm -hmm. unfortunately uh, couldn't pull it out at the end. Also, welcome to being a USF fan and getting disappointed. So, you know, there you go. It was a nice, uh, it was a nice welcome for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt, you want to take the next one? Yeah. So I know, um, going into the start of the season, there was probably like a lot of unknowns for you guys. Just like, oh, how is you know Scott going to mesh with the the team? And it's just kind of like who's going to be quarterback stuff like that. So now you guys are 
five games into the season, miraculously, while some of us have only had two games somehow. <laughs> uh, what's your take on the identity of this team right now in 2020 and uh, going forward? Yeah, um, and this is this is going to get a call back to um, the Jeff Scott difference in, in this program is um, it, it's very player led right now. Um, going back to a couple a couple months ago with the um, social justice. Um, protests that were going on around in the country. Um, our, our cornerback, uh, KJ Sales, led a unity walk um, led by the players. Obviously, Jeff Scott's there giving, um, you know, I don't want to say giving his blessing, but kind of stepping to the side and, and understanding that this is a very serious uh, thing that was going on, our, or that is going on in our country, I should say. Um, and, and so that's kind of the identity of this, this program that's going to be hopefully going forward is it's a very player-led program. Obviously, you have your head coach there, um, but you want your players to to kind of be the the focal point of the program. Obviously, you know you don't want your head coach to be overshadowing uh, the the fantastic work that these uh, players put in week after week. So the identity that we currently were going for, kind of into the season, was trying to establish that player led identity. Um, KJ Sales obviously was a wonderful step up. Um, our starting quarterback Jordan McLeod led a uh, cleanup um, around the USF uh, or some of the streets by USF after. A few um, riots got out, of, got out of hand and was cleaning up uh, debris all there. So I think the identity that the team currently has is, you know, they're wanting to rebuild this USF community and USF fan base. Um, obviously, you know, it gets a little difficult after a few losses here and there. But once the wins do, stop, do start coming in, you know, it's going to be a lot easier for those players to continue to get the support in the Tampa Bay community, which has been miles difficult more uh, in the last four years than I think it's ever been. Um, you know, it's Tampa's a very split city when it comes to its football programs. Um, mm-hmm. So you get a bunch of UF, um, University of Florida alumni, you get Florida State fans. Um, there's a pretty large contingent of UCF fans that moved down to Tampa. Um, and, and the hope is that eventually USF can be that kind of main identity of Tampa. You know, people flying USF flags instead of the Florida flags and, and you know, establishing the culture here in the Bay Area. Yeah, for sure. We have a similar deal in Tulsa, right? You've got OU and OSU right around the corner um, for us. And so fighting some of the same battles there. Uh, so get where you're coming from with USF trying to take back their identity as Tampa's team and make that happen. Um, in terms of, so you mentioned uh, kind of Jordan McLeod in there as one of the guys who's taken a step forward and kind of leading this team by example. Uh, he seems to have solidified himself as the starting quarterback for the Bulls at this point. Um, completing 64% of his passes. Looks like uh, he's getting better every game, really. Um, he has gotten sacked 13 times, which is which is rough, I think, if I read that right, um, and also thrown two interceptions versus only four touchdowns. But at times, he's looked like a really, really talented player. I know that he is a talented player. Um, so I guess what's, what's your overall confidence level in Jordan, and how much do you think also that we will see of Noah Johnson and I don't know how you say his name, Catravis Marsh. Catravis uh, Marsh. Marsh, yeah. Catravis mm-hmm. Marsh. So, how much do you think we'll see of Noah and Catravis on Friday? Yeah. So, so the obviously the quarterback um, situation was kind of weird coming into the program or into USF season this year. Um, Jeff Scott made it a point that this team was basically starting from from absolute you know ground level. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he didn't he didn't watch any of the film uh, of any of our games last year, so he came in you know. Coming into spring practice, the two spring practices we had, um, came in and said, you know, all the quarterbacks, you know, you guys are going to take first team reps. All the offensive linemen, you're going to take first team reps. All the running backs, et cetera, et cetera. 
So he basically started this team basically as a brand new program, just with you nice. know, the guys already there. Um, brought in a few transfers. So um, as you referenced, uh, Noah Johnson from Alcorn State. Um, also brought in Kate Fortin uh, from UNC. Um, and then a, yeah. a plethora of all the of all of all these other transfers from all these other programs. Um, so really, we should see a good amount of Jordan McLeod. Um, he's played, I would think, and I can kind of say this uh, honestly. He's played pretty average, uh, knowing that this is a brand new offense that they're running. That's pretty unfamiliar to him. Um, he did have the most chemistry with the team, obviously coming into this year, being the uh, lone returner from the quarterback room. So he had the chemistry with the wide receivers coming into this game. He kind of understands the cadence a little bit and is familiar with, um, you know, the the team for the most part. So we should see a good, decent amount of him unless he starts to struggle. Um, I, I think Jeff Scott is very open to the idea of he's going to be the guy that's going to be a starter until he is not the starter anymore. Um, if he starts struggling and throwing, you know, interceptions, they're very likely to pull him for Noah Johnson uh, Katravis Marsh, Kate Foran, whoever has been playing well in the week, they are more than willing to, you know, put them all on a short leash at this point. Uh, obviously not an ideal situation for your team to be in, but if it's going to happen, you know, I, it might as well be in a, you know, during the middle of a pandemic and, um, you know, <laughs> when you're rebuilding the team. So I think knowing what I've seen from Jordan uh, these first four games of the season, I'd imagine he's probably going to play... Uh, a vast majority of this game. Um, he seems pretty sound. He seems like he's getting a hang of things. And the mistakes that he's making, um, I I don't think are going to be as detrimental as trying to put in someone who's not quite ready yet. Cool. And just uh, as a reminder, I'm blanking on what year he is. Is he a sophomore or a junior? He's a sophomore. He came in last year as a true freshman uh, just outside of, uh, he went to high school, you know, 15 minutes up the road at Plant High School here. So he was uh, he was a true freshman last year playing you know big boy football. Awesome, yeah, cool. Uh, Matt, I guess late in the game on Saturday, uh, Johnny Ford looked like he got hurt, but uh, heard rumors that he was walking around afterwards in the locker room. Uh, do you know what his current status is, and are there any other injuries that we should be uh, keeping an eye out for this upcoming week? Of course. Um, so with Johnny's injury, we're probably not going to hear about that until you know someone in the uh, in the media scrum asks uh, Coach Jeff Scott on Monday or Tuesday. Um, the thing with USF this year is they're leaning towards using this available versus unavailable system. So um, instead of our injury report saying you know Jordan McLeod shoulder injury, for example, it'll say Jordan McLeod mm-hmm. unavailable. Um, and that could be COVID related, that could be you know concussion related, or you know whatever else, whatever else there, or maybe just didn't travel. So um, you know, the, I, I think he's I think he's going to be okay. Um, as far as other injuries, I don't really count this an injury, but um, our starting linebacker Antonio Greer uh, was ejected in the second half of last game, so he'll be out in the uh, in the first half uh, for this upcoming game against you all. Um, Dwayne Bowles, our other linebacker, he's dealing with a little bit of back issues. He missed two games, um, and he was sorely missed against ECU. Um, so he's a guy that, you know, he, he might be kind of, I don't want to lean towards doubtful, but, you know, there's a chance if that starts to flare up again, he might not play. Um, I don't believe we have under any other major injuries um, on the team right now, but I'm trying to think throughout my head. Um, no, that's about it. Um, I think it's just those those kind of three, Johnny Ford, um, Antonio Greer missing the first half, and then Dwayne Boyles. 
just as a, I guess, a follow-up, have you guys had, um, I guess I didn't really pay too much attention early on, were there any guys who decided not to play this season or any, like, COVID-related, like, issues mm -hmm. that you've had? <laughs> yeah, a few, uh, to put it lightly. So we had um, eight players opt out at the beginning of the year for um, COVID-related issues. Uh, one of them was transfer linebacker Devin Gill. Um, he was going to transfer, or he transferred from the University of Michigan. Um, he was supposed to be a guy that, you know, we were kind of looking to um, fill our, our third linebacker spot or, um, you know, potentially replace uh, Greer or Boyles. Uh, we had a few others, uh, ironically, Michigan transfer A. McDoom. Um, he is actually uh, opted to go to the transfer portal. So he is, Ooh. by all accounts, not, a bit, not with the team anymore. So he's, he's going to turn into a little bit of a journeyman there. Um, and then a few depth guys that we were looking for along the uh, offensive and defensive line and wide receivers um, and a few safeties and uh, defensive backs. So all in all, about eight players opted out for COVID-related uh, issues. Early in the season, um, we suspect that there was a COVID outbreak um, along the USF offensive line. Um, during our first game against the Citadel, we had three of our typical starters on the offensive line uh, unavailable to go into the game. Uh, and going into the Notre Dame game, uh, two of them were unavailable. And so we suspected there was a COVID outbreak and, you know, they were, they were still testing positive and negative. And then obviously once we had that uh, little debacle with the Notre Dame game, uh, we had to cancel our game against Florida Atlantic due to contact tracing. Uh, they had an outbreak in their locker room and, and we deemed it not, uh, not safe, I think is the best way to put it. <laughs> Cool. Um, yeah, you mentioned Eddie McDoom. Um, I either forgot or just totally didn't hear that he was uh, transferring. Is he like, because he, he got a lot of playing time last year, didn't he? Yeah, he got a, a, a good decent amount of playing time. He was the guy we kind of expected to come in and, and heard all these uh, stories about how fast he was. And um, yeah. then obviously, you know, once we heard how fast he was, we did more research and found out he... Um, occasionally we'll, we'll get the yips here and there when it comes to catching the football, uh, which is, I think the second most important thing you need to do as a wide receiver. Um, so, um, he, he did get a good amount of playing time. He did kind of set a difference for us. Um, he wasn't a guy that we expected to start this year. Uh, we had a few other guys who we expected to, um, to, you know, play ahead of him, but he was definitely a guy that we'd bring in for, um, you know, to get some breaks and, and to hopefully make a difference uh, uh, contributing-wise. Gotcha. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we talked a little bit about the last week's, or I guess just a couple days ago's game uh, against Temple. And, you know, putting up season-high 37 points, fell just short of taking that game to overtime. Really wish you would have, <laughs> like I mentioned, but uh, couldn't quite get there. I'm sure the feeling was was uh, pretty rough post-game. Um and we talked about that a little. So what I, I think what I'm more curious about is what a successful season looks like in your mind, in the Bulls' mind, uh, especially this year with all this uncertainty. Is there, like, do wins, does the number of wins not really matter as much this year because of everything going on? Or do you think there's a number that you would peg as a, uh, a successful year for USF? So we, we talk about this a few times in our in our. Um and our team slack here, um, what, what we would constitute as a successful season. Um, mm -hmm. And ultimately, and I, I feel terrible saying this, we won a game, and <laughs> by God, that was probably the, that we, it's a successful <laughs> season because of that. Uh, we made jokes about it and, you know, getting blown up by ECU and um, 
and Notre Dame kind of puts a sour taste in your mouth. But ultimately for, for all of us, we kind of, you know, put our collective heads together and decided, you know, what we want to see, you know, from week one to week 11 or week six or whatever, whenever the season's <laughs> going to end for everyone. Um, we want to see just basic improvement on, on fundamentals. Um, you know, score aside, we don't want this team to obviously get blown out like they have been. But those are going to happen when you have a brand new, off, brand new coaching staff, uh, a lot of brand new players, um, and, and a brand new culture that's being ingrained into this team. So, uh, you know, we want to try to avoid those blowout losses. I know that's going to be shocking to hear, um, <laughs> but we want to avoid, you know, getting getting absolutely, you know, our horses ran out of the stable. But you know, cutting down on penalties that was one of the biggest issues that we had during the Charlie Strong era was the team being undisciplined and, and stupid mental penalties. Um, you know, false starts and, and offsides and pass interferences, holding, et cetera, et cetera, those, those, those dumb penalties. Um, and, and for the most part, USF has done pretty well at that. Um, the first couple games of the year, you know, we, didn't, we weren't penalized too much. This game against Tulsa, um, I think the refereeing crew was a little ticky-tacky. Um, we had 10 penalties for about 94 yards. If I recall against Temple, you mean? Yeah, against, excuse me, yeah, against Temple. Yeah. So, um, you know, we want to try to limit those mental mistakes. Um, the other kind of things that we were looking at was, you know, finding your quarterback that you're going to lean on for next year, um, if that's available. So, Noah Johnson is a graduate um, graduate player, and obviously with the eligibility coming back, he can still uh, return to the program next year. But hopefully finding the quarterback that you can rely on next year and work through that. And then, you know, Again, scores aside, having uh, set forth a, a good recruiting ground uh, here in the Tent Bay area. Um, it's a very talent-rich area, was not recruited very heavily by Charlie Strong, so uh, pulling as many of these Bay Area kids as possible. Uh, they make it an emphasis on our um, depth charts to notate who is a Bay Area kid with the words BA next to their name. So getting as many of those on our team as possible to, uh, to really kind of submit the, submit the grounds here as we've been kind of talking about the culture goes. So I think that's kind of where we're looking at, um, you know, any, any wins this year is basically gravy on top of the, uh, the mashed potatoes. Um, you know, we're probably not going to be favored in any more of the games this year for, for good reason. But I do think that this team is resilient enough and, you know, isn't going to lie down and quit towards any, any teams for the rest of the year. They're, they're going to give some teams some fight this year. Yeah, I love the answer. And I think that's a good way to look at it this year, especially with all the extra uncertainty you know on top of a first year head coach you've got all this other stuff going on so yeah definitely think that's a good way to do it he could not have drawn a, a worse uh first year <laughs> card with the, with the pandemic hitting um i I'm, I'm i'm shocked that we were able to put a team together for the citadel game and, and run some plays basically i feel like they had no practice time and no uh no time to really jail this offense but you know i i think they're going to get better as the weeks go on uh they're going to show marginal improvement here and there but i think the majority of the progress this team is going to make is uh, once the once the clock strikes uh, double zeros against UCF, um, you know the offseason begins and, and next season should be should hopefully be better for us. Uh, so just I guess taking a look at I was looking at your guys's college football reference just to get a good statistical feeling for it, um, and so I noticed that you guys so far are holding teams to under two hundred yards passing per game. Um, is that you think is that because Granted, I think there was, like, Citadel was, like, 84 yards passing, and then, like, Notre Dame might have been around 150, and Cincinnati was, like, 143, I think. So I don't know if it's just some out—well, that's over half your games, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
Um, would you consider is the secondary your strong like suit on defense, or is it? Do you think it's just teams are committing to the run against you guys? Um, a little bit of both. I think is I, I hate to give that answer because I feel like that's a cop out answer. Um, <laughs> but to to give preface on that, our secondary was by far the most experienced, um, and kind of that that position group that we were going to lean on to lead the team on the field. Um, we were returning two um, two very good corners that we've had in our uh, school's history, uh, KJ Sales and Mike Hampton. Um, the secondary included, um, you know, two guys who have basically all four of these guys have been playing together um, all of last year and then all of this year as well. So um, Nick Roberts and uh, Bentley Sanders, uh, they've been pretty much the same four guys we've had for the past uh, season and a half, it feels like. So those were guys we were kind of relying on. Um, but yes, it does, it does help when your team is up, you know, by 15 points and you can kind of run or excuse me, 15 plus points. So you can kind of run the football and, you know, Notre Dame obviously had us, you know, pretty much beat from the get go. So they weren't trying to throw it all over us. And, um, they actually came out very, very, very strong against Cincinnati, a lot stronger than I expected to, to hold them and Desmond Ritter, uh, passing wise, getting a few interceptions here and there, getting good contribution from uh, true freshmen in our secondary as well. Um, and then obviously Temple is, um, you know, they, they have good wide receivers, but they don't rely extremely heavily on their passing game most of the time. Um, you know, they're, they're very much under um, Rod Carey. They seem to be wanting to identify a little bit of power run, um, you know, with also getting their uh, wide receivers involved as much as possible. So um, I, I think the schedule definitely favored our, our secondary to start off this year. Cool. Uh, looking at Tulsa, uh, you know, we are – the kind of the surprise of the year, maybe it shouldn't have been, but what it, what it was for me at least is how strong our defense has looked so far. Um, and looking at USF's offense and um, a lot of new faces around that side of the ball and uh, some struggles so far this year, but some flashes of, of what, could, what could be good to come. Um, but playing against Tulsa's defense, right? So really strong uh, corners on our end. Uh, surprisingly pretty good run defense, better than I thought it would be for sure. Um, but what do you think Jeff Scott dials up um, to try to do to move the ball against against us? Yeah, um, I, I think it's going to be pretty similar to to what the game plan was against uh, against Temple. They they tend to stick to their guns, and obviously um, our Jeff Scott and our offensive coordinator Charlie Weiss Jr. Um, you know he's a little bit of an offensive guru in his in his own mind. Um, I, I think what's typically their kind of bread and butter, and I know this is going to sound super cliche, is getting their playmakers into space. Uh, we have quite a lot of speed on our team between uh, Johnny Ford, Kelly Joyner, uh, wide receivers Latrell Williams, Bryce Miller's got a little bit of speed and quickness to himself. Terrence Horn, um, you know, set school or set state records and, and track. So we do have a fast team, and it's just getting easy throws for our quarterback to get the ball into those players' hands. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's it's very basic football fundamentals, um, but doing that right, um, as we have seen from um, you know our, our friends up in Oviedo these last couple of years, you don't have to be too complex when it comes to getting your guys open, um, you know, running clean routes and, and, you know, allowing those playmakers to, to really, you know, expand the field as much as possible to, to keep opponents on their heels. Obviously you guys have uh, the, the, um, the rabbits foot against them right now to, you know, slow down their offense, keep their tempo at, at bay. But I think it's going to rely a lot on trying to expand the field from um, hash mark to hash mark. Uh, some outside runs here and there, um, then dialing it right back up the middle is, is usually where we're at in the running game. 
um, easy out throws, easy slants, um, and then mesh plays as well as what we usually will run on offense. Um, our offensive line is below average, I think I can say, uh, pretty handedly. They, they've obviously given up quite a number of sacks, so uh, trying to help them out as much as possible by using uh, RPOs or um, you know screen passes, tunnel screens here and there to try to mitigate how much effort they have to put into the game. Awesome. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, hey guys, I gotta run real quick. I'm sorry. I told Matt in advance. I've got a mm-hmm. I've got a weird deal with work this week where I'm working from like eight to one a.m. Uh, so I gotta get ready for that uh, for tonight, tomorrow, and the oh. next day. So I gotta go. Um, I'm gonna hop off the call. All right. Um, yeah. So we've just got a couple more questions. I guess want to go over if you still got a little bit of time. Oh, I've got plenty of time. I've I've already eaten dinner and I've got nothing else to do for the rest of the day or night. I should say. Yep. Um, okay, so looking at this Friday night, uh, you know, big primetime matchup, I've got kind of a two-sided question. Um, first would be, what are your biggest concerns matchup-wise with Tulsa? And then on the flip side, where do you guys think you match up the best? So I would say as far as what worries me the most is, um, and correct me if I'm wrong because I, I checked this before and I, I completely forgot it, but Yellow's offensive line is pretty experienced, right? This is a... Uh, a pretty deep group that's um, together for a long time? Yeah, we ended up, uh, we had a guy, one of our more experienced, probably second most experienced guy, uh, player opted out uh, before the season, but this is, compared to the last couple of years, yeah, we've got a decent amount of experience up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and for us at least, um, to the to the flip side of that, our defensive line is a very green unit right now. Uh, we brought in a, a transfer, a couple transfers here and there, um, you know, a couple guys that were contributors uh, through the through the teams in the past, but our defensive line in this new defense that Coach uh, Glenn Spencer has brought in, um, it hasn't quite had its had its showing yet. Um, you know, it's it's a it's what he calls a thirty float, so three down uh, defensive linemen. Um, you know, kind of giving different looks throughout the night. Uh, sometimes they're all standing up um, from the front seven, or sometimes they're. Um, completely, you know, showing different looks, but that defensive line thus far this year hasn't exactly been um, quite as fruitful as, as we'd wanted, um, you know, but they're still young, they're still learning this defense, and, and hopefully at some point, you know, we can we can start to see some, um, you know, some good things out of that unit, but overall, that op- I would expect Tulsa's offensive line to be able to um, basically put in work against uh, USF's defensive line here. Um, that's kind of the matchup nightmare that I have right now. Uh, that will obviously lead to um, to uh, a, a successful running game, um, giving your quarterback plenty of time in the pocket. Um, I know Zach Smith has shown some pretty good flashes this year, um, but you know the more time that he's going to have, obviously, it, it, the better. So that's that's my nightmare right now is is the offensive line versus the defensive line. Um, where I think we will be um, in, in pretty good stance is uh, athlete, at, or athletes wise. Um, we do have some guys that once they do get the football in their hands, uh, they are pretty lethal. They are pretty good at uh, making guys miss. Um, our wide receivers are due in for a, a very successful game, and they look like they were on the brink of it uh, against Temple. So I'm kind of looking for our um, you know our wide receivers to make a statement this game. I know that seems kind of unconventional with how well your secondary has been playing this year, but I'm looking for um, you know guys like Latrell Williams and Randall St. Felix. Um, another guy, Devontrace Dukes, Devontrace Odoms Dukes, excuse me, 
Um, these guys, we've been looking for a, a big game out of them, and Jeff Scott has been lauding these guys uh, all through the offseason. So hopefully we'll see um, you know some success out of that, uh, some short passes leading to uh, great yards after catch. Yeah. Yeah, and I got to say, like, it's night and day for us with our offense. Like, last year we were one of the worst teams in the country, I think, in, like, uh, sack rate, like, allowed. And part of that was our offensive line was pretty young last year, and then Zach Smith had, I don't, like, if you just, the average amount of time he would hold the ball was just seemed like a year or more. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's gotten a lot better so far, at least in the two games that we've seen, at getting a quicker release. And so... That's kind of nice, but we are, um, yeah, I guess just saying with adding that experience has definitely dropped down the sacks, and then it's opened up because we're not running, you know, we were kind of hoping Shamari Brooks was supposed to be our star running back this year and tore his ACL right before our first game. And so we're relying on a transfer of Daenerys Prince from Texas A&M and then uh, T.K. Wilkerson, who showed flashes last year, but he's definitely had to carry more of a workload, and so having that more experienced offensive line has really helped in mm-hmm. that regard. So, okay, I guess last specific question about this game. What in your mind needs to happen for the Bulls to pull off the win? Which I just want to, like, preface this. This is not the kind of question I feel like I've ever asked because Tulsa has always been the underdog in these kind of games. And so it's just, like, blows my mind that I'm – like the way I can phrase that. You're, you're, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we were able to, you know, to spread the Christmas joy to everyone and, and get them their, uh, their due diligence. Um, and to answer, to kind of put it bluntly, um, we, we look at three main things that we could lead to USF winning games this year. Um, producing turnovers is obviously the first one, um, but that's not really something that USF is necessarily in control into. Um, you mm-hmm. know, obviously, you know, interceptions will happen, fumbles happen here and there, but um, creating those turnovers and not obviously turning over the ball ourselves. Uh, Jordan McLeod had three fumbles uh, against Temple. Not ideal for your quarterback to do that. Uh, left a lot of points uh, to be desired a few times here and there, so could have been the difference maker of a win or a loss there. So limiting our turnovers, obviously trying to create turnovers as much as possible. Um, our return game has been pretty strong this year. Uh, two very, three uh, technically really good return men with um, Johnny Ford back there returning kicks. Um, Terrence Horn, who I mentioned was that uh, all-team or all-state sprinter, and then a uh, converted quarterback, uh, Jacquez Evans. Um, all three of them, you know, get their flashes here and there and get us in good position to get us in the uh, opposite team's uh, side of the field or, or putting up into uh, success. But I also think it's going to come down to luck a lot of the time. Um, I think that's the biggest indicator of a USF win this year is going to be getting lucky by, you know, a, a missed tackle here and there. Um, you know, someone not setting their feet properly and, and not, you know, not doing the right football things here and there. Um, like I mentioned before, I think any win this year is going to be gravy on top of mashed potatoes. So I haven't been expecting them, but I think that they are capable of winning another game this year. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen against Tulsa. I think Zach Smith is going to shred apart our defense slowly but surely. Um, I, I think your running back, uh, I think T.K. Wilkerson and um, Daenerys Price might uh, combine for probably 150 yards total with how bad our defensive line has been playing. But, you know, that's also to be desired that, you know, we need these guys to step up. So this could be the game where the defense finally puts it all together and, and you know, puts together a good game. I'm not expecting a win, but, you know, if it happens, 
It, it, it could happen, I should say. <laughs> yeah. And that would uh, not be the craziest. Like, I remember, it's always those ran- like those weird Friday night games, I feel like, are where a lot of strange things happen. Because I think it was a couple years ago, uh, uh, that season you guys started 6-0. and uh, Oh, 7-0. 7-0, and and <laughs> and yes. I think, think you were ranked, uh, it was either like somewhere in the 20s mm-hmm. in Tulsa. And, like, we were winning for most, like, or we had the lead late, and, you know, Ryan and I let ourselves get too excited, and then we blew it, and you guys came back and won on a field goal. And so, I mean, it's just those those Friday night games in college, I feel like anything can happen. Yeah, they're definitely weird, and um, we were actually, so the Daily Stampede was hosting a, um, a watch party that game, and um, we... I mean, we we kind of we kind of came into that game a little confident, um, but that year was also the year that uh, we got the notorious name of the hate blog um, by by some select folks uh, in the USF area and the USF fandom. So um, you know, we called ourselves the worst seven and team of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely was not warranted. You know, we were winning games by the skin of our teeth, and obviously, once we went to uh, Houston, we um, you know they. Yeah, we got the pants torn off of us that game. So, you know, we that game was definitely fun to watch. Um, you know, we obviously enjoyed it, but we were also thinking in the back of our heads, like, oh crap, we for as much talent as this team should have, we should we should not have won this game by a field goal. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so we got a listener question on Twitter from at W uh, Fertz, just asking why doesn't USF have an on-campus stadium? <laughs> Um, well, uh, not to go into too much detail about it, but, um, USS facility-wise has been extremely lacking as a program, um, for a couple of reasons, uh, but being a young program, uh, started in 1997, um, you know, we really didn't have you know, the chops to what we would consider to be a Division One program at the beginning, um, you know, the aspirations were there, but, um, you know, it wasn't like we were going to build a new stadium within five years and build an, an indoor practice facility and, you know, all these different glitz and glam things. Um, but yeah, so starting as an independent program into Division One, um, working our way into the Conference USA for two years and then uh, finding ourselves in, a, in an automatic qualifier conference of the Big East um, very, very quickly within about six years. So our, um, you know, claim to fame is that famous 2007 season uh, where we were ranked number two in the nation. Um, obviously the wheels, the wheels fell off at the end of that year, but mm-hmm. there was no capitalization by the university to continue to put effort into the football program. Um, from the athletics director to the president of the school, um, they just thought that, you know, hey, we have a good football team, but we're looking to get, um, the academics to a preeminent state university, uh, which we are, which is a great thing for the school. Um, by no means a, is this a bad thing for the school to be touting its athletic or its its academics. But uh, of course, by that happening, um, our football teams and our, our basketball team um, and pretty much every sport aside from tennis and softball have been suffering. Um, you know, they don't have the facility to practice when the weather gets bad in the state of Florida over the summer. We don't have an indoor practice facility. Occasionally, uh, the Buccaneers are, are kind enough to let us borrow their indoor facility, but they need it just as much as we need it whenever it rains. So a, a lack of capitalization by our um, university in the early years really just kind of shot ourselves in the foot. And then if you look at the flip side of it, again, I hearken to our friends up in Oviedo, uh, you know, they, they captured lightning in a bottle 
uh, pretty quickly early on. They were able to build an indoor practice facility for the cheap, uh, then build that on-campus stadium that they have. And now, you know, every time they do something, it's it's catching on fire and, and being successful. And meanwhile, over here in Tampa, you know, we're still trying to, we're doing our third or second rebuild in the last five years, or yeah, about six years now. So it, it's a lot of struggles on our side of things from just mistakes that were made by those in charge. Um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to build that indoor practice facility here soon. Uh, we're pretty close funding wise to it. Um, we were looking to raise about $40 million. At last check, we had about $20 million um, about a year and a half ago. So, but obviously COVID has, has really put a wrench in that program as well. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of <laughs> laundry list of uh, problems that this, this school has right now. But, um, you know, I think we have the right leaders in charge now. Um, Michael Kelly, our, our VP of Athletics, this is an absolute fantastic person. Um, having Coach Jeff Scott here, uh, really being, you know, the, the vocal uh, football coach that he needs to be in the community. And then a new president with uh, Dr. Steve Corral. Um, he's been, he's, he came from SMU and, and he knows how to build a successful athletics program while still maintaining that academic integrity. So fingers crossed that happens soon, but obviously COVID's put a wrench in all of that right now. Um, okay, so that's the last question that I had on my list. The last, not really question, um, but I just kind of like imagine you've enjoyed these last couple UCF games uh, <laughs> against Memphis and against us. So I'm sure that's uh, put a couple smiles on the faces of some uh, South Florida fans. Oh, oh yes, it has. Um, you know, I, I try to credit myself as you know being friendly towards all all fans of all different types. I have friends that are UCF fans and. Um, you know, I, I try to be as friendly towards everyone in the American as possible. Um, but, but boy, does a UCF loss just make my day. <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, it definitely brightens the spirits of USF fans. It makes, uh, this season a little bit easier of a pillow as well, though, actually. Um, seeing, mm -hmm. seeing you guys kind of handle them the way that they did, um, the way that they lost against Memphis on Saturday night. Um, you know, we're okay. We're okay suffering here. We know it's going to be okay, but watching them scramble is... It just it just brings joy to all of our all of our ears. Yep. Um, okay. Is there anything else you want to go over or? Um, I did have um, I did have kind of one or two quick questions. Uh, well, I was I was gonna ask both of you guys this, but um, obviously you were you were just as capable of answering them. But um, I'm kind of curious, and I, I mentioned it, but what is what is y'all's perspective uh, of this football season? Um, you know, are you guys taking it with all a grain of salt? Is this, you know, yes, we're playing well, or yes, um, you know, we have some victories under our belt, but, you know, there could be underlying issues. The, the te other teams not being able to practice as frequently, or um, I just want to see how the rest of the conference kind of feels about this year, because for us, we're kind of like, yeah, none of this really matters to us. <laughs> yeah, and so that's kind of, I guess, coming off last season where – which isn't even necessarily fair because we were four and twelve or four and twelve, yeah, four and eight last year. Um, but it seemed like we could very easily have gone been six and six, if not seven and five, with just how we lost some of those heartbreaking, you know, heartbreakers in the end. But coming in like four and eight, our kind of like one of our big things was like, well, I guess with everything going on, like there's no chance that Montgomery would get fired. So we'll just have to deal with that for another year. And that's kind of like, maybe that's a little pessimistic and that um, we just assumed that this is just going to be like uh, nothing that really happens this year is going to 
like no teams are gonna react and then like southern mississippi i think is like fires their coach after two games which is kind of like oh okay i guess some teams are gonna take it like you know this is just a normal year for them and i think if we had not had the success that we've had so far we probably would have been like yeah this this year is just like it's gonna be weird it's kind of a bummer to use some of the um like some of our most talented guys on defense and offense we're gonna it's there like zach smith's a senior zavin collins is i mean after these last couple games he's not going to be here next year like he's going to get drafted somewhere for sure is kind of where we're at but now that we've kind of had you know had that success we're like well okay maybe this year does kind of matter even if we couldn't play you know most of our non-conference schedule to be able to get hopefully you know like a majority of at least the conference games like we would consider like i get i don't i don't know i think ryan and i are kind of on the same boat like uh we could now compete for the conference and i think if that happens like we would definitely consider that a maybe not like kind of an asterisk but like still kind of a very big deal for tulsa because we haven't had a lot of success recently uh we had some back in 2016 when we uh with dane evans and that crew but i mean just getting like getting success for our team can do a lot to help our program because there's we already have the the issues of we're hemorrhaging money for the football specifically and so like the tv deal helps a lot with that but like i don't know i think this year even with all the asterisks and everything that's going on like it would be incredibly beneficial for the program to just like put up a winning record or to be like in all of these games which is why like getting the game against Cincinnati postponed until December it's like yeah we'll still play them but had we played that and if we managed to beat them we would probably be ranked at least in the AP poll because I think we were like the third team out of it and so just kind of getting that name recognition it's kind of uh, I think I think it would have been big for the program and so that's kind of where we're at or at least I am right mm-hmm. now no absolutely and it makes sense that's kind of uh, back in the uh, early Willie Tiger days, that was kind of something we were looking at was, um, you know, at least trying to put the name back into the AP poll as, as, as quick as you can and as often as you can. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, it, it can happen very quickly and then it can go away very quickly. So, um, right. but then the, the last question that I have is, is a, a semi-non-serious question, but, um, you know, there's, there's one common denominator between the University of South Florida and Tulsa. And that is a man named Sterling Gilbert. Um, I do. You guys have any resentment towards Sterling Gilbert at all, or is he at all a um, a person that you guys um, you know look at at any point, or do you guys pay attention to what he does at all, or is he kind of like, oh yeah, you know, Sterling was was the guy that was in our program for a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think it's more the latter as opposed to. Just because he was only here, he was only at Tulsa for uh, like a year, right? As a uh, offensive coordinator. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I don't know. I guess twenty fifteen. Mm, yeah, I would say not. I don't know if I personally have any resentment towards him, but um, I'm curious to see what the uh, reason for that question. <laughs> Do you guys have some over there? Uh, yeah, quite a bit. Um, you know, some stuff that I'll, I'll tell you off the air, but 
Uh, he's he's probably the most infamous person in, in USF football history at this point for us. But um, I always I always credit to um, you know the the game against you all a couple of years ago with uh, you know kicking that game winning field goal. Um, I call that the Sterling Gilbert game because of uh, the history that mm-hmm. Phil Montgomery and, and Sterling Gilbert had. And um, again, a story for you off the air, but um, yeah, there there there's bad blood there, and um, you know we we obviously. Um, you know, we're glad that he was, uh, he's moved on to bigger and better horizons. And, uh, we find a little bit of joy again, uh, through this, uh, bad season of, of how bad Syracuse has been this year. So, yeah. um, you know, just, I'm always curious on, uh, on former coaches and, and assistants and everything like that as well. Gotcha. Did he go, uh, did he come over with strong? Is that kind of. Yes, he did. He, uh, okay. he came over with strong after. His first year, actually, I believe. So he came over strong the first um, when Charlie Strong was hired. He was kind of like that uh, that hire that we were kind of looking at, like, ah, oh, yes, the the the, um, uh, the the run and shoot offense and the uh, you know the we were going to get back into the spread and, and you know really do well. And he obviously had uh, Quentin Flowers as his quarterback, and boy, did they try to fit a square uh, peg into a round hole <laughs> with that offense. Yeah. Perfect. But yeah, no, those those are the only questions. I uh, I'm excited to see, um, you know, especially on Fridays, is how USF is able to kind of hopefully carry some sort of momentum into this game. Um, you know, I, I I couldn't even tell you what the score is going to look like because we're still trying to figure out what this team kind of looks like. Um, but I'm excited to see how how you guys are, and you know, I'm going to be sad that we're not going to be undefeated against you all anymore. Um, I feel like um, I feel like it's probably going to be a Tulsa win here, but. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna milk that for the next couple of days as much as I possibly can. Yeah, well, I'm just gonna like knock on wood every time now that you've said that because I'm very scared that that streak might be continued. Just uh, I don't know, just as a Tulsa fan, especially like ever since we started the podcast a couple of years ago, it's just like we picked the worst time it seems like, at least for football. But yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to the game. Um, I think it's gonna be. Like, a lot of fun. I really like, I mean, I guess the one silver lining to this year is we've had a lot of games on ESPN, like, not ESPNU or ESPN3 or anything like that. And so, you know, putting up a show on the national stage is always fun. Absolutely. And I hope we don't uh, embarrass ourselves. So here's to here's to a good game on Friday. Yep. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, appreciate you coming on. Uh, it was a lot of fun talking USF, Tulsa football, just to get a perspective for, I guess, the program and what the team's looking like this year uh, and really looking forward to the game. Absolutely. No, thank you guys. Thank you guys for having me. And, um, you know, obviously good luck y'all's year. Um, you know, I hope that uh, you guys can find that success that I think you guys uh, really, really need. And um, I'll say it, go Bulls. Uh, but Rays have to win this World Series. That is what I'm looking forward to for the next the next couple days. Okay, and thank you very much to Robert again for coming on the show. Really appreciate him taking the time out of his uh, Sunday evening to join us on the Hurricast. Uh, so we don't really have a ton left to do in this show. I think we're just going to take a look around the American and see what happened there. Um, there were three conference games and then one non-conference game, and the non-conference game was uh, was a big one. So that was the one that kind of kicked off the week. We had two games on Friday. Um, and one of those was Houston getting their second game of the year in against what was the fifth game of the year for the number 14 BYU Cougars. And so that game happened Friday. Um, it actually started off, uh, pretty close. 
Houston kept it kept it close. They were playing with them early, um, but it really got away from them in the fourth quarter. Uh, it was actually like Houston was in the lead, looking good uh, pretty much all the way until the fourth quarter, and then BYU put up a 22 point quarter in the fourth to run away with this game and win by pretty much uh, kind of a kind of a blowaway game when when it comes down to it. What is that final score? 43 to 26. Um, yeah, it was it was crazy. Like I didn't even see the fourth quarter. I stopped watching. Uh, about about halftime um but man i mean i was so surprised to see the final because houston looked really really good i don't know what happened uh to kind of close that one out but houston was looking solid i would not have been surprised if they won this game based on how they closed out Tulane and kind of got the game one jitters out of their system with that one uh, but that is not how it went down they kind of fell apart i guess in the fourth giving up 22 unanswered points they scored zero points houston scored zero in the fourth compared to BYU's 22. Clayton Toon, two touchdowns, 310 passing yards, no interceptions. Um, so I guess the uh, the lauded Zach Wilson from BYU uh, took over. And, I mean, he had four touchdowns, no picks. Uh, and, like, it's just, I don't know. I mean, they're a high-powered team. They have been all year. People were are, are and, you know, deservingly are very scared of them. Uh, looking like, you know, they're not a G5 Technically, you know, they're an independent mm-hmm. school, so they don't get the automatic New Year's Six bid. But who knows, man? I mean, they could make their way. I mean, it'd be tough for them to get into the playoff, but they are looking like the uh, the contender there. I would I would probably take them over Cincinnati at this point. Yeah, did they uh, did they drop just because of all the um, new? I guess the Big Ten showed up in the conference. I think they dropped to fifteen. The uh, they may week. have, yeah. They might be fifteen, but I mean, the Big Ten was in there last week though too, so I don't, I wouldn't be surprised oh, if they, they? dropped. Yeah, okay. um, so I don't, I doubt they dropped that much. But let me let me pull up that poll actually and just double check. I've got it right here. So yeah, we've got BYU. Okay, they actually moved up, so they're number twelve now. They were fourteen last week, um, mm-hmm. twelve after beating Houston and Tulsa sitting right there at. 58 votes not 58 overall 28 overall but 58 votes total uh which puts them at 28th memphis the next team out getting 76 votes and oklahoma is right before us oklahoma got 74 votes tulsa got 58 so we are neck and neck with the sooners right now which is pretty cool uh pretty fun to see that i'd like to see us above them maybe that'll happen um you know if we get a rattle off a couple wins here in a row um, but yeah, so BYU and Houston, that game ended ended up being much less close than the full, like the entire game basically was besides the fourth quarter. Uh, but BYU ends up running away with that one. Next up on Friday, a game that went into overtime that I would have never thought based on, you know, how things had looked in, in earlier games for both these two teams that this would go to OT. SMU playing Tulane at Tulane uh, in New Orleans and they take it to overtime, man. Like it was, <laughs> you look at the quarter breakdown here, it's 10 to seven every quarter of the game, but they just flip uh, every quarter. So 10 to seven SMU in the first quarter, 10 to seven Tulane second quarter, 10 to seven SMU in the third quarter, 10 to seven Tulane in the fourth quarter. And, you know, 34 to 34 going into overtime, SMU uh, turned them over and then kicked the field goal to win, I think is how that one ended. Um, crazy though like smu has been firing on all cylinders they beat memphis uh you know looking looking pretty strong tulane um looking a little rocky you know they lost kind of in a blowout to houston houston kind of did what byu did to houston houston ran away with it in the the end of the game um and then 
Tulane, you know, they had beaten Southern Miss by like 40, 40 something, whatever that was, and then gave up the 27 straight to Navy in their second game of the year. So I don't know. I mean, Tulane's not looking too bad, but they had, they have some tough losses. Uh, so maybe it's not a surprise that this was, you know, super close, but I didn't, I don't know. I wouldn't have bet on, on this one happening. Uh, but man, I'll tell you what, that, uh, that Michael Pratt, their, their quarterback, not a, not his best game against SMU, but I do really like him as a player. True freshman playing, stepping in early. Um, Keon Howard was the original starter for Tulane over there. Got got the bench uh, in favor of Michael Pratt, and that guy looks like the real deal. Uh, he was a big recruit for them, and I don't know. I mean, it'll be fun to watch him. It's uh, if they've got a guy for four years like him, and Willie Fritz hasn't really had that. Uh, he's been dealing with some transfers. Then that can be really that can be really good. So you got Pratt looking like that. Um, they've got two, you know, the the Watts twins, Deuce and Fat, who I, I love it on Tulane. Uh, two of the best names in our conference, maybe all of college football, Deuce Watts and Fat Watts. Uh, and then just looking pretty strong, you know, able to take SMU wire to wire, go toe to toe with those guys. Um, but SMU, man, I mean, that was that's scary for them. I think that hurts them uh, a little bit in in my eyes, at least. And then in terms of, let's see, where are we here? Yeah, so next up, uh, gosh, the game that I was maybe looking most forward to because I was really, really interested in how this one was going to play out. Uh, so we're, now we're into Saturday. South Florida playing Temple, right? So USF wanted to tune into this game because, obviously, I mean, we're playing USF this week. Um, such a weird one. I mean, ugly game overall. Uh, Temple, Anthony Russo threw two interceptions for the Owls. Uh, I really, I don't know. Like he is a, he's a big dude. He looks like a good quarterback back there. Sometimes I'm just super, not, not really high on, uh, on Anthony Russo and they've got a pretty good, like, I really love Jaden blue, one of their receivers. Um, but outside of him, I'm not super high on many of their guys over there. Uh, but they do a great job on defense, but they, I mean, then again, they gave up 37 to South Florida. So <laughs> I don't know how, how strong of an argument you can make, uh, that they're a good defensive team when, um, USF comes in and puts up 37 on you and really should have won that game. Uh, Matt, did you watch the end of this one or did you see what happened? Uh, yeah, just kind of, well, I was looking at it before this interview just to, uh, get that touchdown and then not get the, uh, two point conversion afterwards. Yeah. So the, (laughs) this is what, so like USF is, you know, right there with Temple and, they are going to have to go for two if they want to win this game. And so they go down and they score. And so the plan, or, you know, what you're thinking is you should have the two-point conversion plan, like the play you're going to call in your head already. You should know what it's going to be. Uh, you've got the full drive to figure this out, right? And they made it all the way down the field. They go in and score. And then they call a timeout, which wastes a timeout. And now they've got basically no chance. You know, if they don't get this, they have basically no chance to if they get the onside kick, have enough time to make anything happen because they just lost one of their timeouts. Um, so they call a timeout. And so now you're like, okay, well, I don't like that they called it, but, you know, we better get in now because we blew a timeout on this and now you got time to draw up the perfect play call. And it was the most uncreative play call of all time. It was a direct snap to their backup quarterback, Noah Johnson, who's a bigger kind of running guy, uh, more powerful runner than McLeod. But he went nowhere. He lost yards on the play. It was just like a straight snap to him. There was no trickery in it. They just snapped it, and everyone kind of went left, and Temple was all over him. It was dead from the start. And 
man, USF fans were pissed. So angry. Like there was a full article on the Daily Stampede I saw about uh, Jeff Scott looking like Charlie Strong with his late game management in that game. And that is not an early comparison you want to get when you're when you're the new head coach that everyone's super excited about. Um, but they really believe that one. I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, a little bit with Robert. Um, I guess we, we would have already, but <laughs> we're recording this afterwards. Um, but yeah, uh, so weird game there. Like, I don't know. I'm not, I, I think, I, I said earlier that I, I think last episode I said Temple could contend for the bottom of this conference. And based on how they played against South Florida, I think Temple and USF might actually be the bottom two. East Carolina went out and lost again last week to Navy, but it was a close one. Uh, and East Carolina went and beat South Florida by 20 or whatever it was uh, last week. So interesting stuff with uh, with the Temple Owls. We'll see how they end up, but not a strong start for them, losing to Navy first and then barely eking out the win against USF. Um, the next game, which I didn't watch any of, so I won't spend a ton of time on, was Navy against East Carolina. Oh, really? Pat and I were wondering, because uh, he turned it on, and I just like sarcastically was like, oh, I'm sure this is a great game. Uh, and it was like, it was not a great game when we turned into it. And he was like, man, I just like, you know, Token's watching this game. And I just kind of like feel bad for him. But to hear that you weren't watching this game, that blows my mind. No, no, I didn't catch this one. I don't remember why. Oh, was it the same time as uh, UCF oh, yeah, Memphis? Or were you playing football or watching other? I don't know. When? No, because we would have turned that game on. Oh, no, UCF I was hiking. Was yeah. No, I was hiking that morning. And then UCF Memphis was the only Saturday game that I caught the whole thing of. Um yeah, so I didn't catch any of this game. Not going to spend a ton of time on it. But uh, what I am concerned about is I'm looking at the box score right now. And East Carolina passing, there's no Holden Aylers on the list. I don't know if he was hurt for this game. It's this M. Garcia. You see this? Mason Garcia. Yeah, I don't even – he's a freshman. So Holden Aylers must have gotten hurt or something like that, uh, which is really weird. I mean, they lost it's the game. A COVID protocol is what it was. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Dang. Some some people are saying, did was it a false positive? Did it cost them the the Navy game? Who knows? I mean, <laughs> it's definitely not going to help them. Like that's he's he's kind of their headliner there for them uh, with the Pirates. So man, I didn't even realize they didn't get to play with him. And so yeah, they lost. Navy won that game twenty seven to twenty three. Um, you know, I, ew, that's 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 crazy. Look at this other just ridiculous box score note navy oh no i had this backwards never mind i thought i had the rushing and receiving yards backwards i thought i thought they had 300 almost 300 receiving or receiving yards uh but no that's a same old same old they almost had 300 rushing yards and Mm. 30 receiving yards but they have been throwing more this year which is uh kind of cool um the one thing i do really like about east carolina this year besides sometimes holding the when he doesn't look terrible like he did against Georgia State, is this uh, freshman running back, Rajay Harris. That guy is going off this year. He's a he's, he's a freshman. Um, he's already carried it for 330 yards, 57 attempts, averaging almost six yards a carry. He's got three touchdowns on the year, uh, receiving t- or rushing touchdowns. As a freshman, you know, that guy, along with, I think we talked about C.J. Johnson, the receiver, um, last episode or two episodes ago. They've got some good core pieces uh, that are younger coming up. So, I don't know. I'm kind of psyched about the Pirates, but uh, without Holden Aylers, not able to get it done against the mids from Navy. And then final game of the week, uh, the headliner, no doubt. Um, I definitely dedicated whatever ended up being five hours. It was a long game. It was like four and a half, five hours for this game to end. They always uh, are. 
it was, it was, oh my gosh, it was so good though. Uh, so yeah, UCF and Memphis played 2.30, I think, um, on Saturday. Went on forever, um, but man, it was a hell of a game. So much offense. The, I can't remember the total offensive yard numbers here. It was like a, a combination of 1,500 plus uh, offensive yards between the two teams. Look at these. Look at these numbers. Dylan Gabriel throws for 600 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, Brady White from Memphis throws for 486 yards and six touchdowns. Both of those guys are completing a huge percentage of their passes. 35 of 49 for Dylan Gabriel. 34 of 50 for Brady White. I just saw right before we started recording that uh, Brady won the Walter Camp like National Offensive Player of the Year or something like that. Or probably God, I am so bad with comparing year and season and week and stuff like that, but. Brady White won the Player of the Week, Walter Camp Player of the Week this 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 week, and uh, man, he looked so good. Neither defense could really stop anybody, which was I expected that on the Memphis side. I I absolutely would have picked UCF to win this game solely because I would have thought UCF would have done to Memphis what they did do, put up something like 49, 50 points on them. I did not think Memphis would be able to put up 50 points against UCF. I don't think their defense is that bad. I mean, it must be. Uh, worse than I think it is because, man, I, I really I thought UCF had the edge on the defensive end and that would have gave them the win, especially I think Memphis has the worst passing defense in the country. I thought it was going to be kind of a, a big win for UCF and it ended up being you know, obviously a loss. So I don't know, man. UCF, everybody's upset with Josh Heupel over there, the head coach now. I mean, it seems like, you know, looking at the – longish arc of time over the past couple of years that he's been the head coach it definitely seems like there is a, a decline in quality of what's coming out of the knights they're still obviously incredibly talented and full of firepower on offense but uh the penalties that keep happening the defense that looks somewhat non-existent at times over there that is concerning i'm not saying they should get rid of him now but he's he's definitely I'd say an average quarterback in the average quarterback, average coach in the conference. Um, just doesn't seem like the, uh, the the guy that's going to inspire a ton of confidence over there. Who knows? Maybe they'll they'll turn around and win every game the rest of the year. But they've already dropped to Memphis and and us uh, early in the year, which is uh, obviously concerning if you're a Knights fan. Um, but man, it was an awesome game. Uh, came down to the very end. UCF had a chance to go win it. They drove down the field. Um, down one, right? They just needed a field goal at the end. And uh, I think it's Daniel Obarski, uh, their kicker, uh, just missed it, you know, pulled it or pushed it left, I guess. I think he's a left footer. I think he pushed it left. And, you know, it wasn't even, I mean, I, yeah, I felt bad for the dude. But even another, another like, you know, ooh, you know, you don't, you don't want to see it at the end of the game. The, the kicker in, I think the third string quarterback, this freshman, Quadri Jones or something, uh, got in a fight on the sideline after he missed that kick. You know, the, the loss was official and met UCF guys are on the sideline fighting with each other. And that, you know, similar thing that happened with us yeah. last year. There were fights they've on the shown, field when we played. shown that in the past. And that's another thing that's like, I don't know, I feel like that's coaching related. You know, can you take a loss? How does, how does the team getting around, like, how do they get along with each other in the good times and in the bad times, right? Uh, it's just, I don't know, red flags all over the place for the Knights for me. Um, but yeah, um, really an awesome game. Like, gosh, so many people were, the funniest thing, teams were going for two all game because it was like both teams knew that it was not going to be a game that was won or lost 
with field goals, right? Which it actually ended up being lost by a field goal. But it was so high scoring that it was like, we just need to pile on as many points as we can um, and, and get what we can do done. And actually, I don't know what the numbers were, like how what percentage of the extra points that they that they did convert, the two-point the two point conversions. But man, it felt like every one of them. Nobody could stop anybody. But very exciting game. Uh, Memphis going to 2-1 and one overall, 1-1 one and one in the conference. UCF dropping to 1-2 and two in conference play, which I really just love to see that. That is, uh, that is pretty nice. But it, I don't know, kind of makes our loss against them somewhat lackluster. I don't think it's too bad, but, um, you know, they're not the, the kingpin in the conference, it doesn't seem, at this point. No, that's, that's us. That's us, obviously. Oh, man, I wish we would have gotten to play Cincinnati this week. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I really, ooh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that game. Um, it'll be, it's kind of like a conference championship light, essentially. I mean, who knows? That could be. Could be. Uh, determining who plays in the conference championship. Yeah, absolutely could. And, you know, it could also be that Cincinnati loses three of their next five and or four of, the next, four of their next six or whatever it is. And uh, it looks pretty bad. But who knows? Who knows how it's going to go? I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think they'll drop one or two of, again, they've got like Memphis, SMU, and somebody else uh, that coming up like three in a row that are tough. Um, and I think they'll drop one or two of those. So uh, if we can, if we can, you know, win the games we need to win and play in the games that are a little tougher, we'll be right there at the end of the year. So I am uh, very excited about that. Okay. Uh, if you like the show, please do share it on Twitter. Um, tell a friend about it. Leave us a review on Apple podcasts. Any of those things. We really appreciate all of that. Uh, if you want to support us financially, you can find a couple of different ways to do that both of which are on our website. You can just go to thegoldenhurricast.com slash support. And finally, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at goldenhurricast, or you can send us an email to thegoldenhurricast at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Stay golden.